0: Hello there. This is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q and A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q and A, as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Dr. Gary Coleman, one of the trustees of Game Therapy UK a charity set up to promote therapeutic gaming in the UK for public benefit. Game therapy is similar to drama therapy in that players can act out scenarios in a safe, controlled, psychologically informed environment to facilitate creativity, imagination, learning, insight, and growth. However, it differs from traditional drama therapy in that it uses collaborative tabletop role-playing games to intentionally achieve these therapeutic goals. Game Therapy UK provides evidence-based therapeutic games to groups at risk of social isolation. These include a wide range of groups such as people experiencing homelessness, people in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, people experiencing neurodivergence, and military veterans exposed to psychological trauma or PTSD. It was great to speak to Gary about the important work of Game Therapy UK and highlight the positive impact tabletop RPGs can have for folks, regardless of their background or experience. As I always say, tabletop RPGs are for everyone, no matter who you are. I'll put a link to where you can find out more about Game.RP UK and their work on the One Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. So, we're just going to start really nice and simple. Could you introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you do?
1: I'm Gary Coleman and I I do a bunch of things, but I th- I'm the chairman for Game Therapy UK, it's a therapeutic gaming charity.
0: So what, how did you get into role-playing games to begin with? Were you like a, a dungeon master, or a game master, or were you a player? Are you a mixture of the two?
1: I'll tell you what it was. I started playing ages ago. So, I mean, um, you're, obviously your listeners can't see how old I look. Uh, so I'm like in my late fifties now, fifty-seven, and so I started like back in the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I was a kid in the northeast. I grew up in the northeast, and mm-hmm. there was a shop back in the seventies or early eighties called Beatty's, which was like a toy shop, like a model mm-hmm. train shop. My dad was into model trains, so I was mm-hmm. dragged along, and I kind of got into making model trains and little models. And I remember this shop full of model trains. Yeah. There was a little cabinet in the corner, and a glass cabinet, a glass case locked and in it was this blue book with a dragon on it and a little knight with a sword saying something i don't want to say like but you know welcome to adventure and it was like it was the first sort of dungeons and dragons (laughs) book, Uh, and i I kept going to my dad like on a saturday morning to buy model trains and bits of Mm -hmm. trees and things to make these dioramas and i just kept looking at this case and I just like, wow, oh, wow, what's in there? It's, it, it's so dangerous. They keep it locked. At a You can't <laughs> even touch it. And I, and I had this imagination of what it might be. I had no idea. Oh, and it looked cool. very grown up as well. It looked far more mm. grown up than for me. Mm. But I loved the idea of it. And then I don't know when, months and months later, I remember being in a music class at school yeah. and this kid came in and he had this blooming thing ah. under his arm, this little mm-hmm. magical book. And I didn't, we were in the same class, but I knew him, but we weren't friends. And I just sort of sidled up next to him. And, oh, what you got there? And then he said, I bought this thing. I got this thing. Wow. And he opened it up and we started reading it together. And it was the blue book. It was the first sort of, well, it was the first. It wasn't the first Dungeon Dragons book, but it was a very early version. Early
2: one, yeah.
1: That night I went on to his house. After we after had our teas, went on to his house and we read it. And then we thought, oh my gosh, this is really complicated. It's not <laughs> even a game. It's like a, an exam. It's like, a, you know, like a series of questions. <laughs> But you said, you know, was I a player or a GM? He bought, it was his book. So he right. decided, he went, I, I, you know, this is mine. I want to play the game. Oh. Therefore, you have to be the guy who runs the game.
2: Whoa.
1: Um, and at that point, there was only two of us. Yeah. And so he said, oh, I know a couple of friends who don't go to our school, but I think they might be into this sort of stuff. Because even then, I think we knew it was like a bit nerdy and it, we might get beaten up if we told anybody. It felt like a <laughs> kind of secret. And I felt sort of transgressive to have this book. Yeah. And that was it. I read this book. I was, I think I was like one page ahead of them in the rules. So I knew slightly, <laughs> knew one page more rules than they did. And that was a, just about enough. Mm-hmm. It came with an adventure called Into the Unknown. I remember that. Mm. And it was basically, it was the, back then, This was TSR were making it. And the dungeons yeah. were just crazy graph paper graphs. You know, It made no logical sense why this dungeon would exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And also it was, it was half only half the rooms had something in them half the rooms were empty i think the idea mm. was you got your pencil and you just you made it up what was thing. in the other rooms and
2: yeah i just loved
1: it i loved the idea of writing and drawing and making games and that was it i was kind of i was, I was then hooked I, was, I guess i was like 12 years old or something 13 i played first edition when they came out we bought those and we played all of those and I so thought that was Dungeons and Dragons I was playing. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, do you, is it was there other systems? Back then,
1: I sound so old. It's like back in the ancient <laughs> days when there were dragons. But it wasn't that long ago, was it? But it wasn't that long ago. But then yeah. there was like a magazines route. So I used to go, there's another shop that would sell mm. miniature figures, like a little tiny shop. And in the corner of the shop, they sold like a handful of miniature figures and magazines. Mm. And the magazines were Dungeon Magazine and Dragon Magazine, the official mm. official sort of D&D magazines. But then there were loads of other magazines, was like loads of indie magazines back then. And one of them was this, this um, uh, White Dwarf, which was mm, game mm. games workshop. And, you know, so the magazine back then, White Dwarf magazine, it wasn't, it was kind of rules agnostic. So there'd be Dungeon and Dragon games in there, but there'd be this Call of Cthulhu games yeah. and there'd be trolls and, what was it, tunnels and trolls games. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything and anything. It was, you know, swords and sorcery, something <laughs> like, and something, something <laughs> and something. And so I think back then you kind of would read all of these of it it yeah. just felt very much more rules agnostic. It was just everything, wow. I think, back then. And yeah. a lot of it just was just making stuff up. It didn't seem to be as prescriptive, maybe, as it, as it, as it, as it is now. And I loved it. it was brilliant. That's how I got into it
0: it's kind of interesting because yeah a lot of the stuff I get like I, I've I found like copies of Dragon on the internet archives mm. uh, they put it you know for free all the issues on there yeah. so I've, I've had a bit of a download myself yeah. and it's fascinating to again because obviously they have the adverts in and all that sort of thing yes. like, and it appeals to a, such a wide range of people yes. I, instantly I can tell Gary you're a storyteller because you started about like oh there's this, a, this magical MacGuffin in a, in a, a, <laughs> a clocked box <laughs> for you then when you're telling stories obviously as either as a GM or just as a collaboration thing what kind of stories do you like to tell is it is it high fantasy mostly or do you like to dabble with different rpg systems or genres
1: so but i mean back then i was um I, I i think star wars had just come out you know mm-hmm. that kind of epic storytelling and that, that space fantasy had just come out so i was mm-hmm. I was kind of into that mm-hmm. and so i was probably watching a lot of sci-fi and i was probably reading sci-fi i'm not sure if star wars is sci-fi but you know that was space opera kind oh of yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i'd also I'd just read lord of the rings probably I, I, you know, probably hadn't read Lord of the Rings that much earlier than I than I got this game.
2: Mm.
1: What was I, So I think all of it really. I think all of it yeah. just kind of appeals to me. Fantasy. Now I probably do more medieval fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of did play a lot of Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, really, and I was and sort of writing games in that kind of world. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's preference. That's probably as much marketing. Everybody <laughs> seems to be playing it, and if you want to play games, that's kind of what you... it's like. It's yeah. a bit like music. When you, I'm not really a muso, but people who are into music, and you go, "Oh, what's your, what band do you like?" They, they seems to me they always will say the most obscure band that you've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah. oh, brilliant, and then you get to know them, and you go, "Yeah, they don't really listen to that at all. They're listening to you know, yeah. Coldplay." Like every, they, I think we all kind <laughs> of go, "Oh, what's the most esoteric thing I could?" Yeah. I just, I think, like a lot of people, I just play the games that are yeah. you know, common and popular I suppose D&D is very popular isn't it
0: I love the idea that you've kind of made the analogy that d d is Coldplay is, isn't uh... it though but it is though isn't <laughs> it, it really is that's the sad is. thing it is
1: Coldplay nothing wrong with Coldplay true
0: <laughs> either that or like U2 would be the other one as well I guess yes. but um <laughs> it's true like I, again for me most of my games i'd say about 80 percent sort of, of them i have run regular D D. but obviously with the podcast i try and do mm. different rpg systems and yeah stuff. that's brilliant yeah for me it's just a way to tell different stories and just to try stuff out because i i find stuff like this absolutely fascinating like looking at the mechanics what stories we can tell and sort of you know go from there essentially it sounds like uh from what you're talking about with those magazines and stuff just being able to draw stuff and then it sounded less prescriptive as you were saying rather than now yeah, which is like definitely. it has to be well it has to be like it doesn't the rules didn't matter you know you could be like ah it's fine even though yeah. there seemed to be a lot of rules but you could be just like it's fine
1: i don't think anybody really knew the rules back but you know mm. back then. i don't think people even now i think people didn't know the rules you know they weren't Podcasts, they weren't, they weren't you no. couldn't watch YouTube and, and have experts tell you what to do. Yeah, so you just yeah, had to yeah. read them yourself and try and work it out. And I think a lot of it was just people kind of misunderstanding it or, mm. or, or even maybe, maybe not. I think the, the rule was kind of just make it up, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: There were never rule books, these were kind of guidebooks. This is a way of playing mm-hmm. it. You make your rules up. It's very difficult to monetize that, isn't it? It's much easier to monetize rules. So to reproduce rules is uh a way of making
0: money. It's always funny right? when I talk to game designers and I'm like, what's one tip you, uh, people if they wanted to run your game? And always they go, um, probably read the rules and buy my rule book. And I was like, that's mm. fair.
1: Yeah. So you asked about stories and things. And I think yeah. with the games, I mean, you no, know, they are they aren't stories, they are games. They're not, you know, I think that's important for me. Cause I write games, I write stories. Um, but it is that you know, they are more game than story. Mm. But I'm I'm really not that interested in the rules. Mm. I've discovered I don't mm. I don't really care what the rules are. I find mm. the rules are they're just there. And you could actually play. You know, sometimes you play rules. You can play. I've played games where the rules light or almost rules zero, where there are no rules, mm. and it doesn't seem to make that much of a difference. I think the important thing is how well the game, the module, you know, that is written, the the story bit of it is written. I think that's that's what interests me, at least.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think certainly now there is a sort of turn with actual players online and streaming and Mm -hmm. stuff. uh, Rules are less important to create story. And it's interesting. So for me, I'm an improviser and I teach improv Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get role play mechanics into improv just to get us more interesting scenes and it's fascinating to see people improvisers in general you know they have certain rules like you know yes and all that sort of thing but yeah, as soon yeah. as you give them a the rule of like i need you to like speak like a monologue but as if you're writing a letter to someone and the Mm -hmm. person can't respond until you finish the end of the letter they find it really difficult uh, because they've never had to monologue for a long time or usually if they monologue it's usually all over the place when I'm saying you've got to be concise and maybe describe what the letter is like or anything like that and and do some world building so a lot of my stuff is about like okay how do we get people to become uh, game masters as well Uh, because obviously it's a big leap from being a player to maybe a more active player to then being like I'm helping with the facilitation of the story and all that sort of thing so i i I absolutely find it fascinating how realistically. It's not about the rules per se. I find them very interesting. But at the same time, the story is the most important thing and being able to collaborate with yeah. other players about it. But some people go, oh, but I need to learn all this math. Yeah,
2: you really don't.
0: You don't really. No. And it's all about the cool thing and making people feel like they've contributed to a story and had that cool moment per se or or have the tragic moment of, you know, there is there is loss or, you know, like they, oh, the villain got away and stuff like that. And it's just that, I don't know, this is something, again, we're able to explore certain themes in a safe place. Mm. I just find it really fascinating and and obviously great and certainly after the pandemic so
1: yeah It'd be interested to see if somebody timed a game how much time you actually spend doing something that is rules based mm. and how much time you spend doing something that is just story based because I think mm. when I'm playing as a player or as a GM I think most of the time you're kind of in story mode aren't you no yeah. one, no one's really asking for a dice roll you know, it's, they're just moments mm. most of if you're playing for three or four hours most of that time is kind of in story mode, I think. Mm. Um and there's only a few moments where you do something where you'd have to go, I know what the rules are.
0: Mm. Or you need to clarify them in some way. I'm guessing you're more of a theater of the mind person rather than using maps and minis
1: yourself. Or do you go between? I appreciate all of that, I think. I mean when 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 we were kids it was very much theater of the mind, just because mm. that's yeah. we didn't we didn't know any different. And mm-hmm. we couldn't get minis, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think when we did start getting minis, we'd probably have like we had like 10 lead minis, you know, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. And then if they met a monster, it would be a rubber dinosaur or something. You know what I mean? It would be like a cow, a toy cow would come along. The miniatures were kind of used just to reference distance from each other more than anything. It was was mainly just theater of the mind.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And so I kind of enjoy that.
2: Yeah.
1: When everything went online during Mm -hmm. COVID, you know, I thought, oh, this is not this is not really going to work doing it online. But yeah. what I loved was the fact that you could turn your screen off and then you just mm-hmm. get this disembodied voice. you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, it's like it's like listening to a radio play where you just have to fill in all the gaps. And mm. I think. That is fun. So mm. online doing it where you, you're just as voice.
0: There is an improv format called The Bat, which basically right. everyone is sat in a circle, but their eyes closed and you do a soundscape. And then you Ooh. you take turns about who's doing in the scene and then moving from scene to scene. And it's all done through just vocal and no uh, visual cues. Right. And I was uh, saying thing as well, like some people really struggle, obviously, because sometimes they need to see the people like engaging yeah. or see their reaction stuff. And I absolutely get that. But there is something, like you said, that's radio play like mm. and yeah sure there'll be people talking over each other but that's okay yeah like we we will we'll manage like you know it's yeah. not too awkward I and mean, we do it all in real life as well but I yeah i'm a big fan of like yeah. just li- like listening in to hear the pauses and to hear yeah, 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 you
1: know yeah. the silence the dread so good
0: <sighs> yeah like oh especially
1: God. doing horror obviously yeah you want whatever you yeah. show them is not going to be as horrific as what they're imagining so don't Absolutely. show them, anything. Let them but then after Corgood, we went back to playing live Mm. and um i still play online i play i play with a charity i play with a game with military veterans and that's all online because they're Mm. all around the country Mm -hmm. Um, i also play a game with um, people experiencing homelessness and that's face to face in a hostel Mm. and it's lovely when you get back up face to face and you do get the little tiles out and you get miniature figures and you get your your hands on a dice and you get to clunk things around a table and that's awesome as well that's just the exact opposite but it's brilliant i mean it's all oh, lovely isn't it totally fun.
0: different things for different people isn't it like yeah. yeah i and i and i very much appreciate and it's the same with improv as well we do online we do in person and there's different things for convenience and stuff yeah. but yeah definitely the first game we came back uh, after being away for so long it, it felt very very special uh rpg therapy so how did that come about so yeah so i've been sort of playing role-playing
1: games for you know, forever and ever and ever and i also i qualified as a, as a doctor as a doctor so i was very mm-hmm. really lucky when i was a kid i, I wanted to be a doctor I think and so I went off and um I was very lucky I, I scraped through some exams and I went off to medical school and I, I was a doctor in the army for a while so I did, I did all of that and I was kind of out sort of just I, I probably wasn't playing much role-playing games then I was a bit busy I was all over the world just playing yeah I was kind of doing it for real really yeah, around, yeah. you know <laughs> uh, having adventures for real and then when I left the army I came back and I, I started working again as a doctor and I work one day a week in london i live in london now mm-hmm. i work one day a week uh doing end of life care for people experiencing homelessness in london
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was during covid we were, we were still working um, i was chatting to a pal who is a complex support care worker
2: mm-hmm.
1: with homeless people and he'd also played dungeon dragon since he was a kid and, and we were just wondering we we're just curious we'd heard of people in america using game therapy or
2: yeah. geek
1: therapy or dnd therapy whatever they were calling it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we were both kind of aware that they're using it for people with trauma mm-hmm. and it, the clients that we had were largely maybe all of them had a history of some degree of trauma psychological trauma complex mm-hmm. trauma
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we just thought i wonder if it would be helpful playing day and day i wonder what that would be like also we were aware that um in terms of this sort of social isolation people are experiencing homelessness you know it, not necessarily street homeless people in hostels and you know, homeless hostels mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. spend hours and hours and hours a day isolated um they often spend a lot of time in their room and again we just thought well it would just be a good way of bringing people together and socializing Mm -hmm. them and giving them just a a, a fun experience. Mm -hmm. So this was during COVID. We thought, let's just do a little trial, just the two of us. We'll get together and we'll play a game of Dungeon Dragons Mm -hmm. uh, with some of the clients experiencing homelessness for a few weeks, for a few months and see what what it's like. Mm -hmm. That's what we started to look at. And as we were setting this up, we started to speak to other people in the UK because we were aware of the American experience, but you know, America's got a very different healthcare system. Yes. I think. you know It's all yeah. very much in the marketplace. Mm. And so I think the other thing is, well, I, you know, I I certainly had a very sort of cynical NHS chip in my brain going, yeah, all, all this stuff I'm reading, is it is it research or is it just marketing?
2: Because mm. mm-hmm. they're in the
1: marketplace. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, they're very nice people, but they, they are competing against one another. Absolutely. Of course they're going to say it works because they're <laughs> selling them their product. Yeah, yeah. So we went out on social media, Facebook, I think, Asked for a bunch of people on the groups, hey, anybody, any experience of doing any kind of therapy or therapeutic work with role-playing games in the UK? And we got in touch with a bunch of people who we're still talking to,
2: Mm. and
1: they all came back. And and the one thing that they said was, I think they'd all also experienced that sort of cynicism as in, is it really working? Mm. But they all said, when you start doing it, it's really profound, the effect. Mm. It is so profound. It really does seem to have an impact for people who want to play the game. Mm. But the problem that they had and that we were experiencing was it's, it's a bit nerdy. So it's a bit, it's very difficult to get funding. It's very difficult for anyone to take you seriously when you say we're going to, we've got this idea of doing something therapeutic. Oh, what is it? We're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Hmm. Wouldn't it be
1: lovely if there's some kind of umbrella organisation which Hmm. just shared the knowledge that you know we because we were reinventing the wheel all these little groups around the uk were reinventing the wheel how do we set up these projects in our system not the american system Mm. wouldn't it be nice if there's some kind of just repository of knowledge Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there's some organization that could help us get funding who could Mm. tell us what to do help us support and so we just the group all of us just got together well let's just create it let's just make let's make something so we set it up as a charity it's a registered charity now Mm -hmm. uh, game therapy Uh, UK, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and the idea is it's very kind of collegiate as well. We're not in the marketplace. We're not in the. There's nothing private about it. It's very. Mm -hmm. We're there to share
2: our resources,
1: and our knowledge, and just everyone kind of pitching in. Mm -hmm. uh, Gamers, clinicians, educators, Mm -hmm. whoever wants to get involved, and we're we're developing these games. We're playing games therapeutically Mm -hmm. for public benefit. So it's not Mm -hmm. in the marketplace at all. I know it's all research based as well. So all Mm -hmm. of our projects are going to be research based and that research we're going to publish freely amazing and just trying to find out the evidence base for this thing therapeutic gaming how what's the best way to play it mm. um what's the best practice i suppose how do you how do you play the game and make it as yeah. therapeutic as possible
0: i always bring up this article about in from the bbc i think a little little while ago and it talked about loneliness in people in mm. big cities is so big but we don't see it because obviously people are busy and they 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 mm. just get on and then, of course, there's, uh, there are articles now about saying, oh, Dungeons & Dragons saved my life. It's something at like my little touchstone, mm-hmm. and I can go and do this every week. And, I, and I'm sure other, like you know, like sports and all that sort of thing do the same thing, but it was fascinating <laughs> like, to me. That sort of thing. <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, who who goes outside anymore? Yeah, you know. <laughs>
1: It'll never catch on. Sport. It'll
0: never catch on. But it was. I found it interesting because a lot of the people that were interviewed in that particular article about loneliness in big cities like London uh, mm. were people in their twenties, thirties, like early forties. Like people, yeah. I would necessarily assume that they have it together in quotation marks. But it was just like, yeah, actually, yeah. The, the, I'm just left out of the the humdrum life. And it's I just think yeah. also, you
1: can be you can be incredibly lonely and still be in a group.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and you know
1: and also you can be you can have quite a good social group and still have be socially isolated within that group so mm-hmm. I think when I was a kid looking back on it I think I was probably quite a lonely kid I, you know I had a very lovely family and you know a very close family um, and I had friends but I think I spent a lot of my time alone you mm-hmm. know through choice to, to an extent yeah. but, you know I was quite alone and, and these games were probably my only real Social groups that I had. I Mm. I didn't play sports. You know that'll never catch on.
2: No, never catch on. (laughs) That's football. That's
1: football nonsense. So, so to me, it was it was a social outlet. Mm -hmm. And then you know you get even like now. I mean, I'm you know I'm now in my 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 fifties, whatever, and I I think I'm kind of kind of quite outgoing. Mm. Uh, I I probably appear quite outgoing, but I I, I think I'm quite a quiet person. In reality, I'm Mm. quite shy. In reality, Mm. and certainly compared to like my wife, because my wife has got a really rich social network of good friends whereas mm-hmm. i have people who i know who i played dungeon dragons with you know and they're yeah. they're, they're like friends but it, it needs the game probably to hold us together sure. so
2: yeah
1: yeah yeah we, we do various groups within mm. the charity we're still a very young new charity um and the groups we i mentioned homelessness so we're doing groups mm. um we're running games for people experiencing homelessness and and through that people in addiction recovery and also mm. um other sort of subgroups like survivors of modern day slavery who are experiencing homelessness we we do all of that other groups that we started very early on i I think i might mention i was in the army i used to be a doctor in the army Mm. and and so another group that we set up quite quickly was an online group for military veterans and also serving personnel as well Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm telling this because again just this idea of sort of isolation so we set this group up and again i didn't i don't feel like somebody who's isolated at all you know uh i think i've got quite a you know interesting social life and we set these games up online mm-hmm. and he was me sort of setting these games up to be the great sort of heroic person who sweeps in and it, helps. Yeah. I'll help you people. I'll
0: run the game. Don't, don't worry. worry. I'll <laughs> save the
1: day. And so we set these games up and I, I was GMing these games and I was ex myself and we are doing these games to these veterans mm-hmm. who were, you know, it was an, it was a test, was like an alpha test yeah. to see if it worked. Mm-hmm. And we played this game. We've been playing it for like a year and a half now, coming out of mm-hmm. second year. But one of the things I realised was that I was playing this, I was I was GMing these games I really loved them. I I was finding it incredibly therapeutic being part of this trial with these Mm -hmm. military veterans. And I'd left the army 20 years ago, you know, and having having a great social life. But what I I realized was, what I remembered was, I was isolated from people who had a a military experience. So I'd spent Mm -hmm. 14, 15 years in the military. And it's a bit, very specific kind of world that you're living yeah, in of course. all this stuff going on yeah. and then i'd left and i'd left 20 years ago and i hadn't thought about it. it hadn't bothered me at all until i met these people who were either still serving or, or had gone through it as well and it was just suddenly like oh crumbs do you know, i really i hadn't realized I'd, i I'd missed this i miss mm. chatting to these people who've had the same experience we haven't even got to talk about the experience it's just mm. knowing that they've had the shared experience yeah and there's that kind of thing as well, where you don't feel like you're socially isolated, mm. but you're maybe isolated from a group of people who have a sh- shared experience, you yeah. know? And it yeah. could be anything. It, it could, you know, that was about being military veterans. It could be, you know, we're looking at groups of people who've got uh, neurodivergence. It could be that. It could be, as mm. actually, I'm, I'm now able to contact with other people who are neurodivergent. And we've got that shared thing. Mm. We then we've got to talk about it. We just know.
2: Yeah. Or it
1: could be a gender issue or a sexuality issue, or it could be a shared anything. It's just a mm. group of people going, well... You know, this is nice to have an opportunity to meet yeah. these people
0: and be safe in the fact that yeah. if something comes up, people are like, "Oh, yeah, don't worry," and move along, or be able to to yeah. empathize with it, rather than totally. you having to be like, "I have to explain why I did this or or why I feel like this," and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. It is about
1: empathy. And I think I think the games are very good at generating empathy as well. They're just yeah. playing, being playful, and playing games is very good yeah. at
0: empathy. Yeah. When you're GMing, then, for these groups, Mm. is it mostly published adventures? Is it stuff that you create? Or do you take any input from the folks around the table? Like, what do do they want to do? You know, I guess, because obviously... In the you know obviously game therapy you're not necessarily you know psychoanalyzing these people this is just to give them a space to play through yeah. and that sort of thing so i have just I just wondered how yes. how do you accommodate but how do you tailor the sessions to your your groups so
1: well first of all just I'm mean, just to mention what the kind of the, the game therapy therapeutic gaming a bit
0: yes please because that was just
1: mentioned then so I think the, the 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 again the American model compared to maybe our model mm-hmm. in the American model it's it is again it's very kind of privatized and what they do is and I'm not criticizing it's just no the, no what no, they no please. So I think their model is generally, it's a, they're the therapist, you know, there's somebody who like, I'm a therapist, I'm a whatever a qualification I have, and I am going to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons or Cthulhu, I'm going to play a game with you, and during that game, this will become therapy, you know, I'll be using therapeutic um, modalities during this game, and that's how they do it, and then you pay them some money, and you play a game, and that's it. I think our model is different, mm. our model is, we think the game itself is just therapeutic, Mm-hmm. We're democratizing it. You don't need to be right. a clinical psychologist or a psychologist or in anything. You just need to be players and, and you know, just need to be gamers.
2: Mm.
1: And as long as you play the game thoughtfully, you know, I think there's certain things that you can d- learn to do mm-hmm. that make it more likely to be a therapeutic experience than, than not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's mm-hmm. always a risk it could be a toxic experience. If, if anything is therapeutic, if anything has an effect, there's mm-hmm. always a chance that there'll be like a side effect or an ill effect.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you just need to be wary of that and try and avoid those things. You can't always avoid those things. Sometimes you will just hit a landmine and something will happen. And then you just have a bit of of thoughtfulness or training as to how to navigate your way around that. And then Mm -hmm. you keep on playing this, making the game as therapeutic as you can be. So I think that's the first difference. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think it comes from our attitude, which is kind of much more collegiate and democratic and for public good rather than for private gain I think Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. that's
1: the first thing we do we're playing these therapeutic games the other bit is and some of the groups that we're playing that we're going into some of the groups are very kind of normative like Mm -hmm. the veterans really the the only shared commonality is that they've all have either served in the military or they are or they are serving in the military
2: right but they don't have to
1: have any mental health conditions they haven't got to be socially Mm -hmm. isolated they're just people playing a game that's that's their only shared experience Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we are moving towards the veterans a group for people who've just got post-traumatic stress disorder that's That's Mm -hmm. slightly different because everybody in that group has got a vulnerability. Yeah. With the people experiencing homelessness group, I mean, pretty much everybody who has experienced long-term homelessness probably has got a vulnerability. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think just being homeless itself is traumatic and a lot of the causes of homelessness could be trauma. Mm -hmm. So for those groups... The game itself, again, we play the game, it's just normal games. The game itself is therapeutic. But I think for those groups, we also would have in a therapist.
2: Right. So, okay.
1: but the therapist isn't doing therapy necessarily during the no. game. They're watching the game or they're playing the game. They're in the room, they're in the space. But then in between the games, there would be therapy and it would just be mm. therapy, normal therapy, whatever modality you want to use, whether it's psychoanalysis or CBT. I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychological therapist. It would just be normal therapy. So mm-hmm. you have therapeutic gaming and then just normal therapy that's the kind of models that we're using Mm -hmm. rather than some kind of game therapy thing so that's how the kind of game therapy therapy yeah
0: very fascinating thank you
1: answer your actual question how what kind of games we play when we set up any
0: project i
1: think we start off by the all the projects are co-created or co-produced with the clients and the clients Mm -hmm. could be a, a charity so the client could be actually where Homelessness charity. We want you to come in and help us work with our clients. So
2: mm.
1: we could we will sit down with the charity and say this is what we want to do. Does this kind of fit your aim? So we we can create, we can design a game to support that. Mm. And then of course the players, the, the actual you know end clients, they sit around a table with us and we'll go right. We're going to play a game. What kind of game would you like to play? So we mm. always do that. So people, it's a, it's you know it's a it's a, it's a it's the whole process, the whole game of these all these games are collaborative and it, the mm. design starts off being collaborative. Mm. If they said. What we want to do is we want to play Dungeon Dragons Tomb of Horrors. Well, we'll just pull it off the shelf and go, right, we'll play that. Yeah. They yeah. tend not to. They tend to come up with ideas. And we go, well, let's design a game around that. Oh, fab. Yeah. So the kind of usually the games are kind of bespoke. Mm-hmm. Invariably, we want to play something that's not Dungeons and Dragons. As in the the, the, the charity. Invariably yeah. people sit down and go, Oh, let's play and we have all these ideas or come up with some bespoke thing and we'll mm-hmm. start playing a game. And invariably,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> after a couple of weeks or months, they go, Yeah, this is brilliant. Great can we play Dungeons and Dragons? And then you know, you go, yeah. oh, right. you're
0: you like, okay. Um,
1: just because of, it's just ubiquitous. It's out there, isn't it? Their marketing yeah. is definitely, this is the course, they've definitely got the marketing. So eventually you go, yeah, okay, we'll play. But even then we'll probably be, rather than pulling something off the shelf, it'll, mm. it'll be a home-brewed campaign or a game
2: yeah, because yeah, yeah. we want
1: to, again, make it maybe just being thoughtful, especially if it's, it's, a, it's a vulnerable group, we're kind of aware mm. of their vulnerabilities. We go, there are just certain things, certain tropes are really common through whatever game it is, whatever rule set it is, there are usually certain tropes with that game and you go, yeah, well, we just need to be a bit thoughtful about that. Careful, yeah, absolutely. Alcohol, things like alcohol Oh,
0: gosh, of course. Yeah, any tavern, you're like, "Mm, let's get rid of those yeah, or or replacement somewhere, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Or or alternatively, it can be that. It kind of goes the other way. When we did the veterans group, we actually were talking to, it was NHS, Contact First, NHS were saying, could you look at designing a game for... Oh, we've got some veterans with PTSD. Could you design a game Mm. for them? And we went, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm sure we could. There's a lot of evidence that computer games were very good for PTSD. And so Mm. we were looking at role-playing games. And then they asked a couple of questions. Very sensibly, they said, could this be harmful, playing these games? Could could it damage? Could it trigger Mm. PTSD in in, in the veterans? And we went, yeah, could do. So let's 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 find out. So we went, we just got this. We had about 50 veterans that we we're talking to mm-hmm. who all played games. And we asked them, you know, anonymously, do you get triggered by playing any of these games? Because mm-hmm. of course they could do. And there was a lot of PTSD within the group. And they came back and went, those with PTSD said, Yeah, we do. We get absolutely we get triggered by playing these games. But that's kind of why we play them. You know, we enjoy, we, we mm. recognize the therapeutic benefit of experiencing it. Right. That was the clients, the, the veterans recognizing that. Mm. And then we're speaking to our sort of clinical psychologists, the trauma world, and they're all going, oh, yeah, brilliant. Because that's, theoretically, that's what you'd expect to find. That that would be the therapeutic benefit of playing the game, but mm. that you'd, you know, you'd, you'd be in a safe space. You trigger these, these memories and you'd re-experience the memory as if it was now you know as if you're back in that traumatic place
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you're not you're in a safe space and you're wherever it is your amygdala is not firing off
0: it's your character that's in yeah, this yeah, space yeah. yeah absolutely and then
1: you just kind of relearn to restore those memories as mm-hmm. memories so you you know you still remember those traumatic events but they're memories then you're not experiencing awesome. them viscerally mm-hmm. as if that's happening to me for real now
2: mm.
1: again when we were designing the games for the veterans in particular for example we designed games that were had lethality in them we, we made them scary because we wanted to sort of have an element of triggering it mm. in, in a thoughtful safe way so of course yeah and in fact the veterans asked for it as well because we said to the veterans what games are you going to play and again all the veterans were saying like oh i want to make dark like cthulhu or vampires yeah. and death and we want that kind of it was gonna be dungeon dragons like first edition dungeon dragons when you, you know properly yep. when you get killed you're just like dead right. yeah cat kills you that's it yeah so we looked at those games and then we said to all the players cause you, have, you have to get everyone to, to agree to a set of rules oh, and we said that's yeah. brilliant great we take that on board mm-hmm. what game do you actually all know you know everybody what game does everybody know the rules of and of course, it's Dungeons Dragons, fifth edition, Dungeons Dragons. But we took sort of the fifth edition's rules and then we just went, right, let's just homebrew the rules and yeah. we make it more lethal and we bring this stuff in. And then we have like this kind of eldritch horror element to the campaign mm. and it works well. So we kind of homebrew all of, all of the games. So
0: that's really cool because they're going to again, get, yeah, it obviously shows that you're passionate and you want to like create something that is bespoke that they will all enjoy. it for me, when I run streamed games uh, Mm. uh, or when I put in pitches and they get accepted and stuff, a lot of my games are horror, uh, just because that's what interests me. And, you know, I'll do the lines and veils, I'll do the session zeros Mm. and stuff. And it's always interesting to see, you know, because obviously with an anonymous form, you can see like, okay, people don't want spiders, they don't want this. And, you know, certain things are always off the table, which is absolutely great. And then it's interesting when I ran uh, an alien RPG, which is obviously incredibly lethal and incredibly body horror. And there's still a couple of people going, oh, I don't like body horror, but I've Applied to be in your show, I've you like, seen the film, haven't you? You have seen these things, <laughs> but obviously, I know it's it's about like okay, let's let's dive into it. What is it? Was it? it just do you not want it to happen to you? Can you hear yeah. it? Is it off yeah, screen? Yeah. All that sort of thing. So it those tools really helped me. But one thing I started employing. So I ran uh, recently one of the second scenarios, which essentially is like the plot of uh, like aliens and mm. a bit of Prometheus and all that sort of thing. And there's a part of it because it, it is Marines in warfare, mm. and obviously at the time of recording and at the time of streaming, um, there's a lot of warfare going on in the world. Mm. And so I had to be, I had to sit down with my players, going, "Look, I can't change this element of the story, and it's not glorifying it or anything like that. It's in the background, but we can bring it to the foreground if people would like to. I just want to make people aware that this is oh, a yeah. thing and and I told them like various beats that there are people that are missing. You're going to go find them. Mm-hmm. Bad stuff's going to happen to them. That's fine. And then at some point there's effectively um, some mysterious entity throws what is essentially a dirty bomb over mm-hmm. this colony and you have to get out and I just said it in such simple terms and you can see them going Whoa. And I was like I'm telling you this now because if that is not something you want to be a part of I don't want mm-hmm. you to feel that you're mm-hmm. forced with it mm-hmm. these are story beats that can't be changed in this mm-hmm. particular scenario because that's what again it's off the shelf but I want to give you enough agency with these pre-generated characters we're using that you can that, you know they can have relationships they can be different genders they can identify as whatever they want mm-hmm. I want you to make sure that you're safe and comfortable with what we're going to go through and that everyone was on board and we had such a Brilliant. really good time as a result Brilliant. and I think sometimes there's that worry for GMs to be like, oh, I don't want to give away the story and I don't mm. want to spoil the surprise of a horrible thing. But actually, it's I find it much more freeing to tell people that these are the beats that are going to happen. And yeah. then when we get to them, obviously, Panto players are like,
2: oh, no,
0: it's time. Yeah, yeah,
2: totally,
1: totally. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. And it sounds a brilliant game. And also, but, but don't tell me the spoilers because I'm I'm just about to start playing in Aliens. I haven't played <gasps> Aliens yet. So the, the veterans group, one of the guys mm-hmm. in veterans is going to a GM aliens. So oh. I'm going to be a player in that. So don't, don't spoil it. Nope. <laughs> Although I have seen the film, I've got a vague idea what might happen. I'll, I'll, I'm very excited for you then. But that's the point, isn't it? Because it's such a rich world. Imagine if you're playing in Star Wars game or you're mm-hmm. going to play in a Star Trek game or Doctor Who game or whatever. You kind of know who the baddies are going to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't spoil the game. You know, if, you know, if the Darth Vader flies past, you know. I've never heard of Darth What's Darth You you know his entire backstory You know everything about him But your character doesn't And you can still play that Mm -hmm. And it's a game isn't it It's a game It's playfulness Yeah
0: It's the same with Alien As well though Mm. Because you think Well it's given away slightly That it's called Alien We know what the big bad is But actually When you talk about it With people say It's not just Obviously the Alien Is the the immediate threat But Mm corporations the mm. brutal reality mm. of space uh mm. computers going against mm. you you know so that and that for me was just it was mm. when when i was explaining this to people because you don't need to know all the law and all that sort of thing but it was just fascinating because people go oh yeah and i was like mm. yeah i think people just you know that sort of tunnel vision going ah oh, an alien and then you're like ah oh, mm. but Reality—it's mm. it's far more scarier. So that's what I was going to ask you. So obviously, you set up these uh, these obviously groups. Uh, presumably, you or another person in the charity uh, runs it for a couple of sessions, or, or does a short campaign, and then do other members of that groups take up the mantle, or do you do you have sort of repeat the project? Like, what what sort of the uh, yeah. scheduling? Like, I guess.
1: So again, I think it depends upon. It's all bespoke, really. So I think one of the things is we set up when we set up projects we probably say. We're going to run the project. I think 12 weeks is what we normally say. We'll run it for about, well, it's whatever people want to do, but we say about 12 weeks. And I think we picked 12 weeks just because if you do CBT, the NHS is for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And we thought it sounds a bit like CBT. There we go. That's the honest reason why it sounds a bit like a a thing you would get off the NHS, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And 12 weeks sounds like long enough you can play a campaign. And if it's about overcoming social isolation then you probably want to allow people to form friendship groups and you know mm. 12 weeks is probably long enough to kind of form a little group and to play a campaign and and to do that and then also it just means that for us if we're, if we're kind of measuring things we've got a beginning a middle and an end after 12 weeks you we can measure it and go has what what impact has it had mm. so that's kind of how we normally do it having said that what then happens at the 12 week point is we go well let's just extend it for another 12 weeks and
2: yeah, yes. our
1: project in Camden has been going for two years. Just 12 weeks after 12 weeks after 12 weeks our, our military campaign is, is been going for the, the longest one is in its second year now we've got two other groups starting up you know on oh, you know, a campaign so that's quite usually happens mm-hmm. and i think we try and have a small you know we'd like to have a small group of people playing collaboratively for long periods of time because mm-hmm. that's part of the enjoyment of the game mm-hmm. the way we design them is we design the sessions to be one shots though so we right. appreciate that not everybody is going to play all the games or they're going to drop mm-hmm. in and out. Mm-hmm. So the game design usually is, it's a series of, it's like kind of West marches. So it's, a, you know, there's sequential long shot, they're one right. shots. Yeah. But most people turn up for all games and they just play it like a campaign. I've i learned a lot by doing one shots. So I, I, the mm-hmm. discipline of, of, of writing, we try and have, it's impossible to do, we? you try and have every session end with an ending Yeah. and have that series feeling to it. The discipline of writing the games is brilliant. I mean, I really enjoy that.
0: Yeah, I hadn't even considered that because yeah, it totally makes sense. Because I was I was going to ask like, yeah, I'm guessing it's weekly, and what do you do if people aren't there, and if people come in halfway through? But yeah, mm. if you've you've set up the session like, oh, it's very easy to quickly do a character or here's some pre gens, etc. Mm. And then yeah, it's up to you to be like, we've got this amount of time to have the adventure scene, etc. We're not going to do our cliffhanger. It just you know. So I that yeah, it is fascinating to do that because i'm i even though uh what am i rolling is a one-shot podcast hmm. it's usually four hours and then split up with obviously deficits but sometimes i'm like i'm just gonna have to leave it there uh yeah. and people are always yeah. like oh next time and i was like well there isn't but uh but it's true <laughs> if you want to get it as a sort of satisfying yeah.
1: conclusion you, you want a satisfying conclusion and wherever that ending is you need to hmm. be able to as the gm go we need to create something that feels like a satisfying conclusion
0: obviously when you're running sessions then for you, what is the most important thing to get across to the players? Or, or I guess, like because it sounds like again, you're you're doing your tailored session, you're writing the scenario and stuff. I'm guessing it's more the role play and creating a straight element rather than say combat or, or exploration. Or is it a mixture of uh, of all those three those sort of tenants?
1: I think it's you know it is creating a, a rich world and a rich potential for story it's creating mm-hmm. you know that you want something to have there's a world and there's the potential for conflict and all those elements of story they need to be there and it needs to sit in something that feels as if the illusion is it is a full world mm-hmm. you kind of want to give that illusion mm-hmm. but it is also it's a game isn't it you are playing a game so it needs to have those beats of a game You know, it's, it's, you, you describe what's going on Mm -hmm. and you want them to very, very quickly in as few ways as possible, just get the sense of it and the smell of it. And Mm -hmm. this is the the thing. And then to understand what the challenge is, what the problem Mm -hmm. is. And then you just sit there quietly and they just, they play, they, they work out the problem, you know, and then when they've solved that problem, you go, brilliant. And then here's the the next bit of the problem. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is gamified. I think
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I hear people saying, I'm a forever GM. I think you're missing out. I think you should definitely be a player. I think you should definitely play in games. Absolutely. I learn how to be a GM by playing in games and going, oh, I really love that. I love that. I've been really lucky in that. I play in games with some brilliant GMs, way better GMs than I am. And I go, oh, I'll steal that. That's brilliant. So I, I love all of that. Or occasionally as a player, you'll go, do you know what? If I was a GM, I would think the player's not enjoying this. I'm loving this you know so this yeah. is that kind of reassurance as well as a GM going yeah they're fine they're okay they're playing
0: I'm 100% with you on that like uh, I again I'm also quite lucky that you know again through doing these podcasts and stuff like that that I you know I had other GMs come on and run stuff I'm, I you know and then I'll why go be a place somewhere else and there'll be games and systems that I have no real knowledge of or touch them before because I think very sort of uh uh judging books by cover going, oh that's not for me. And then they'll run a session I go, oh, this was amazing. <laughs> like I've played in so many uh sort of Warhammer RPGs where I've gone, oh yeah. I don't know if it's for me. And then I'm like, wait, this is totally for me because yeah, I yeah. can be I it's Black it goes forth. Oh, oh easy. You know, oh, and, nice. and it's fascinating because again, maybe it's the way uh, certain images don't necessarily appeal to me or there's just, again lots of text. And then I'm like, oh I, I completely agree with that sort of thing. Like if you're a GM and you're only running one system that's fine but try and get other players to do something or you know obviously there's online meetups and all that sort of thing just to go and play in another game even for a few sessions mm. and just you gain so much knowledge and i i'm exactly the same. going, oh that was really good yeah. i'll use that on in mm. on monday's session and see yeah, 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 and see how totally that goes down and be probably. like i had that in my back pocket this whole time
1: yeah. but it is difficult and designing games which workers mm-hmm. games is hard i mean and again yeah. that idea of just trying to design things so so when we're doing sessions a lot of our sessions are quite short mm. um so the, the guys for one for people experiencing homelessness that, i think that's a, like a two-hour session
2: oh so wow
1: ideally you want to play a game in two hours and um, we're doing a schools one schools libraries and clubs one and the schools mm. one they're saying they might have 60 minutes so you've got to design yeah. a game that they can play from beginning to end in 60 minutes and I love the discipline of that. And of course, you can't always do it, you know, you can design a game that, that you go that you can play this in 60 minutes. And of course, people spend the first 55 minutes trying to get through the door. Yeah. Into, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, but that's the game. That's the game.
0: It's the end. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's not that difficult. Um, but that's the, as long as having fun getting through the door, well, that's yeah. the game. The it game is, doesn't matter. It does turns it? out the game is you getting through the door. Yeah. Um, come back next week and we'll find out what's in the room. That's fine.
0: I can't remember it was at this year's uh, UK Games Expo, like their version of awards and stuff. And I think it won. Yeah. It's on my I think it's just called critical and it's part board game part role-playing game and it's like episodic like 10 sessions mm. but they're half an hour long uh that's what it mm. said and it, and i was like i don't that can't be a thing and it's got its own little rules set over so it's a bit mm. complex for my my liking personally yeah. but i was like yeah because the time people just don't have the time to sit down and 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 while the way six seven hours of you know creating stuff like oh, we'd love that but you know like i yeah. said lives get busy and or you only have that two hour stuff it's to keep the people's attention yeah. and keep them but, engaged you know it's really difficult
1: it's a really good discipline and, mm. it, and if you if you are if people are if people are listening to this and they're, they're mm. writing or designing games i think it's really good to play really short games because of course you know then on the weekend you play the same game with your pals and you go right actually we're going to play for six hours because that's what we're going to do and, you've, you know, if you're playing through a campaign which has been designed to be played in one hour or two hour segments, it's great because you just have these natural beats through the game where mm-hmm. you go, oh, we've done this, right, let's let's have a pizza. You know, it just, it just <laughs> creates moments, you know, and the game has its own pace
2: mm-hmm. designed
1: into the game, you know. So I think it's quite a good discipline to, is to be able to go, yeah, there's going to be these little short things, you know, and, and, and make sure it is gamified where there's plenty yeah. of space for the players to play a game rather than, just be sitting listening to a story, or yeah. just be rolling dice.
0: When you say gamified and stuff, again, this is just just me, just out of interest. So, uh, when when you when you say say it's a Dungeons and Dragons game, etc., mm. obviously they're at a certain level. Do they level up? Do they gain magic items? All that yeah. sort of thing, yeah. like just yeah. just the usual sort of like yeah, they got that reward, even if it's only for that session. Or
1: with some of the groups we do, often if we have, if we've got a group at starting and the groups are all novices and they've never played a mm. game before. We wanted to make it as easy as possible. We wanted to kind of get them playing the game pretty much straight away. Yeah. We you know, we've got we have a group where we might sort of do printouts. We might we we did one game again. Everyone wants to play everybody wants to play Dungeon Dragons.
2: Yeah. You know, okay.
1: We're gonna spend the first two hours explaining how to play the game. So we, mm-hmm. we just gave them we 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 made what we called level zero characters, and they're basically just uh-huh. like first level pre-printed character sheets. They just had to put the name and the race of the of the, of the species of their character on there. And also, if they had a magical spell, the whole spell would written out for them exactly what they could do. It's just, you know, not difficult. It's just, and then you are given this bit of paper, assuming, assuming they're literate, given this bit of paper and then say, right, we could start playing. You don't need to know any rules. Let's mm. just, play. you know, and then we started playing. Mm. It, it, yeah, we just, just get them in there and playing yeah. straight away. And then I think the campaigns that we play, they tend to... You know, kind of level up quite quickly, I suppose, because yeah, you know, yeah. in twelve weeks you able to kind of get the experience of leveling up and yeah, getting a bit yeah. better and things. Yeah,
0: for people like who are interested in the in like the sort of research that you're so putting into it thinking about setting up their own club, whether it like it's at school or yep. you know with uh, certain groups and stuff, like what what sort of your big advice would be for running something like their own sort of thing? Like, I want to set up a club. I want to get yeah. people to get yeah, out yeah, of that yeah, social yeah. I- isolation, if you see what I mean.
1: And that's what we're all about, really. It's all about that kind of democratising process. So if you want to, yeah, just do it. I mean, just do it mm-hmm. and make it up. And that's the best way of doing it. Just do it, try it uh, and get better at it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we are here as a resource. So also do... Think about just dropping us a line and saying, hey, we're starting a club
2: mm-hmm. in this
1: area. Any thoughts? Because either we can help or we can put you in touch with people nearby who can help you with your project. Or if you've got any questions any any mistakes that you're about to make and you'll, you're going to make mistakes. Any yeah. mistakes you're about to make. Well, we've already made those mistakes. So we can mm-hmm. we can chat about that. Um, we can help. We might be able to help with a bit of funding. We might be able mm-hmm. to help getting the industry is very generous towards the charity. And, and uh, you know, we, we've got kids. I'm sat, in, I'm sat in my little sort of shed at the bottom of the garden looking at boxes and boxes full of miniature figures and things that oh. the industry have very kindly given to us yeah. to give out to people. So if, if you're starting up clubs, let us know. We'd love to get you on board and hear how your project's going and if we can help, we'll help.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Gary. Um, The, the final sort of question, which is completely unrelated to Game Therapy UK, so I appreciate it. It's like a wild card. But Could you talk to us a little bit about your other project, uh, Dorks and Orcs? Uh, yeah, if if yeah, that yeah. if that's appropriate uh, yeah, yeah, I, totally, I, yeah
1: yeah 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 so obviously i I've, I've been playing sort of these games forever i i also i do lots of different things and one of the, my main job is comedy i do i work as a stand up comedian and i also do comedy production on various bits and bobs and for years and years i've been i thought do you know what i think a dungeons and dragons type game would be a great concept for a panel show Mm-hmm. Um, because a comedy panel show like you know Would I Lie to You or Eight Out of Ten Cats it's a very kind of British phenomenon a comedy panel show
0: it really is the idea of
1: a comedy panel show but it looks as if the comedians or the panel are playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons I thought mm-hmm. that would be a great idea because it's got jeopardy and it's got fun and it's got those moments where you have to roll the dice and what you know that randomness of it all mm-hmm. and it's literally life and death kind of you know pretended but <laughs> I thought it would be really good fun and so we started to develop that and we've been developing it for a couple of years now mm-hmm. And yes, we've, we've been playing it in pubs just to kind of get the hang of it. And we've been playing it online. Um, we did a show up in Edinburgh.
0: I was going to say, you did a, the Edinburgh Fringe, didn't you? Yes,
1: yeah, so we did. It, we, and that was it. Was brilliant. It was like a 100, 120 seat room. Wow. We didn't even advertise. We, there's literally, there was no advertising. We just went up there just to, to give it a go. And the room was sold out. <gasps> um, and it was brilliant. It was just lovely doing it. And half the room were... Proper geeks who came up you know, you know we normally used to play it to pubs to comedy audiences, and they were just like half the room were geeks, yeah, and they just really got it. Half the room were just punters who wanted it to be funny, and it was really funny, and they got yeah. the laughs out of it, right? And you think, Oh, this could work. Luckily, we were asked to go over and do a um a little pilot in LA, so we did a little pilot <sighs> in LA.
0: How exciting last year! Mm-hmm.
1: It's called Dogs and Orcs. it's a comedy panel show, and it. The thing is, it's very short form. So it's it's mm. about 30 minutes along the shore of 50 minutes. You want to be 50 minutes. So, you know, it's it's not Critical Role. It's not Dimension 20. It's not people playing for hours and hours. So it's a format that would work on TV. It's a yeah. format that would work live on stage. And it's primarily funny. It's 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 a comedy show that yeah. looks like Dungeon Dragons rather than a Dungeon Dragon show. That's a bit funny.
0: That's so interesting because certainly now with the Wizards of the Coast and and certainly Hollywood looking at at a way to be like, how do we change actual plays to be a bit more for the mainstream? And Mm. so something like this clearly is in the zeitgeist. and, And I know they're starting their own Wizards of the Coast channel but there's definitely like a counterparty they're doing ones based on uh, cooking cooking shows and stuff
1: that's right yeah Matthew Lillard yeah Matthew Lillard's got a show on there hasn't exactly. he exactly yeah. yeah like so worm,
0: purple worm kill kill or something kill, kill. yeah it sounds it's really good sounds really interesting
1: yeah we were chatting to Matthew when we were going out to LA we were talking to Matthew about his show yeah so it, yeah, yeah.
0: Really so it, it feels like yeah just another way to be like hey it's not just four people sat around the table it's like yeah. like you said the short form element which uh certainly america loves they love their whose line is it anyway and and so the improv obviously is so different over there uh that it's it's definitely seen as a um i don't want to say professional profession but you de- you definitely have the schools and you get into classes and you get into acting all the, all the way through that so oh well best of luck that that sounds Brilliant. really awesome. If we wanted to find where Game Therapy is, uh, what's the website? Where can we find out more about your work?
1: Yeah, so I mean, all, if you go to the website, all our socials are on there. So the website is game-therapy.co.uk and most of our socials are at Game Therapy. So um, you probably find us there. We're also at most of the conventions. I think we, we tend to most of the conventions. UK Games Expo and Dragon yeah. Meat and Salute and um, I think most of the conventions we're going to be at. If we're not at a convention, if you're from a convention listening, invite us and we'll turn up.
0: Um, <laughs> well, brilliant. Thank you so much, Gary. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you.
1: Oh, it's been a little bit yeah.
0: I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.